0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Luke chapter 6. And uh, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going to get to the end of it this week, but then uh, next week we're going to look at the last four verses uh, of this sermon again. We'll take a quick look at those last four verses today. Uh, But uh, we're going to start in verse 39. Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 39, and if you remember, uh, to give you a little bit of a reminder, this is a sermon to help those who are following Him, those called as disciples, those who want to be learners from Jesus, to distinguish whether or not they're the learners that are going to be blessed. Because there's two types of people following Christ. One type that gets the woes of Christ, their life will end in destruction, though they claim to be his followers. And then there's those who are blessed. And what we've already seen is that the blessed ones, what we saw in the Beatitudes section, is the blessed ones are those who see their sin clearly, so they repent. They don't view themselves as righteous, not having one ounce of righteousness. Rather, they are weeping over the state of their lack of righteousness. They're hungering for righteousness they don't have. There's two types of people following Jesus. Those who want to follow Jesus because they think they're good and Jesus will help them. And those who see themselves clearly. And the second thing we saw, the second attribute to the true disciple, not only is he repentant, but he loves his enemy. He loves his enemies. Love marks the true disciple. Love in the face of opposition. And the third thing we're going to see is that the true disciples follow Jesus and not the false teachers. Many today who follow Christ in Word are actually following false teachers and will end up uh, having their life crumble at, at the throne of God at Judgment Day. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So look at verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure of his heart, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me, hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock When the flood arose, a stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Father, God, I pray that You give us spiritual eyes. Lord, I pray that You give us spiritual sight to see the reality of our condition. Help us not be deceived by false teachers. Father, thank You for caring enough about us to help us recognize them. Lord, I pray that Christ would be our only teacher. That we would follow the gospel, period. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, speaking about false teachers is never a comfortable thing in the climate of the culture that we live in there's kind of an unwritten rule, even in evangelical Christianity, that we can never really... we got to be careful how we speak about those who veer away from the Gospel because they teach some things that are true. It's kind of this rule, if there's anything good they say, then we have to accept them. We have to be careful with them, and we're afraid to talk to each other and talk clearly in the way Christ does about these teachers, and in a way, Paul talks about these teachers, but we must be different than this culture. We must be different because false teachers lead people to the ultimate destruction, to eternal punishment most people many people read the Sermon on the Mount and they don't even pick up that the whole second half of this sermon is Jesus helping them see the character of false teachers and ending with saying if you build your life off what they teach your life will be ruined but if you build your life off what I teach your house will stand, your life will stand before the judgment of God. The storm that comes at the end is God's judgment. And the scary thing is the targeted audience in this sermon is two disciples. We saw that right at the very beginning. He was speaking to His disciples. Those who say, Lord, Lord. Those who claim His name and christ in his mercy and grace tries to help us see clearly who are truly his in fact if you look at about every parable jesus gives he's trying to teach this point there's two sets of people both of them think they're gods five virgins get in five virgins don't they're all virgins They're all there ready for the bridegroom. But five weren't ready, five were. Or there's those who listen to him teach in their streets, but they get to the banquet and the door's locked and they say, Lord, Lord. And he looks out and he says, I don't know you. I don't don't know who you are. Are the soils, you know, the words preached, first one, we know that's not a believer, right? Gets snatched up. Seed that falls on the road gets snatched up by a bird. Taken away. But then the second seed is received with joy. I mean, this is a person that hears the Word gets all excited. But then when the heat of the sun comes, because there's no root, it shrivels and dies. Produces no fruit. And then the third soil. The one who receives the Word... But because of the riches of this world and the cares of this world, it's choked out so that there's no fruit. Jesus wants those who confess His name to be able to discern whether or not they are true disciples, true followers of Him. And this is no different. Uh, I debated whether or not I would do this or not, but I, I want to share with you some lyrics uh, by a rapper. Now, don't just shut your ears because I said rapper. I, I can tell you some of the best lyrics out there in Christian music come out of these reformed Christian rappers. If you want to see Deep Theology, uh, read their lyrics, even if you don't like their music. But one of them, Shai Lin, wrote a song called False Teachers. And uh, he was targeting kind of the prosperity gospel preaching, uh, the type of preaching that promises people health and wealth in this life and really tries to whet people's appetites to the riches of this world rather than the riches of Christ, all cloaked in the language of Christianity. I, I'll, I'll just read one section from a song. He says, I know that some would label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that there's heresy. How dare they be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity? Turn off TBN, that channel's overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people, teaching the camel squeeze through an eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself, how can they not be convicted, treating Jesus like a lottery ticket? And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right? That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be believed without a cost. The lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross. And then at the end of the song, he ends it by saying this, Joel Osteen is a false teacher. Let him know Creflo Dollar is a false teacher. Who else? Who else? Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Tell the truth, Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Let them know Paula White is a false teacher. Use your discernment. Let the Bible lead you. Fred Prince is a false teacher. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Robert Tilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. Eddie Long is a false teacher. Juanita Bynum is a false teacher. Paul Crouch is a false teacher. Use your discernment. Let the Bible lead you. And so he just flat out the ones that are directly teaching contrary to the Gospel. But yet I can just see the look on your face. You feel like the... Man, he just named them. Well, Paul named them too. And half of the Sermon on the Mount is for us to be able to discern those who are teaching a true gospel and those who are not teaching a true gospel. And I'm telling you, you might be thinking, my discernment is good, but here's what you need to know. The devil is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. The Bible talks about sin as uh, the deceitfulness of, sin. Sin feels right a lot of the time. That's what makes this so dangerous. Sin can bring a certain amount of pleasure that won't lead to ultimate pleasure. And so we're told by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, in a familiar text, uh, Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present age, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so then he tells them to put on the armor of God, which is the belt of truth, the breastplate, plate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, the gospel, and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying at all times in the Spirit. We don't fight a battle against flesh and blood, but against deceivers that have the help of demons and have the help of the devil. Do you realize that? Paul's biggest concern, it seems like, for the church is wolves among them that come looking like sheep but are ravenous wolves. Jesus spoke about false teachers often. Listen, listen, listen to Paul in Acts 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. You see, a false teacher wants a following. They want to draw away disciples. It builds up their own ego. It builds up their own bank account. It gives them their value as they can steer someone in a little different direction It's no wonder in Jude 3 and 4, he tells Christians to contend for the faith. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He's saying, I have to tell you, contend. You don't realize there's a battle even inside the church among yourselves for the truth. And then he says this, for certain people have crept in unnoticed long ago who were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality denying the Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, he says, and yet in like manner these people relying on dreams defile the flesh reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when Michael the archangel contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pron- pronounce a blasphemous judgment and said, Lord, rebuke you. But all these people blaspheme all they do not understand. They are destroyed by all, by all that they like unreason unreasoning animals understand instinctively here's what he's saying he's saying these false teachers they have an authority outside of the scripture they talk about a dream they had that god told them to do this and now follow me how, how are you going to challenge it and then he says they blaspheme the holy ones the glorious ones and then his example he gives is when Michael the archangel is fighting against the devil and Michael the archangel doesn't even pronounce blasphemous judgment against the devil but rather he calls upon the lord and says lord rebuke you you see that these false teachers will yell at the devil as though they themselves are don't even recognize his power Michael the archangel has more power than us, and he calls on the Lord to rebuke them. We see this. We live in it. It's in our culture. It's in our bookstores. It's everywhere. How are we going to be able to discern? 1 Timothy 4.1, he says, Now the Spirit, so the Spirit speaking through Timothy, says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared these are people who speak in Christ's name but whose consciences are sealed and they're not afraid to lie they're not afraid to lie jesus in Matthew 24, when he was asked what it's going to be like in the end, what will be signs of the times, says this, "...many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because of lawlessness, or, or because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations." then the end will come. You see, there's two people. There's those those proclaiming the gospel to the end of the earth, and then there's false teachers deceiving people. The unbelieving world isn't even in the context of what he's saying here. He's speaking to those professing Christ. So what can we learn from this sermon probably the greatest sermon ever preached from Christ what can we discern about our teachers first we discern that they are blind jesus makes an easy just a simple argument and if you, if you look at your notes the drive of this sermon is simple follow jesus christ alone and be careful to avoid false teachers if you're not worried about it, you're a fool. Because there's a spiritual war for your soul. And false teachers are deceitful. They, they are. Look at what he says in verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So Jesus' favorite way to describe the Pharisees, the most religious people in his day, the people who looked like they were the closest to God, the people, if you were going to go and ask anybody in the town who's going to heaven, they would take you to the Pharisees. And Jesus continually called them blind. Blind. And what he meant by that is I think two things. What we've already seen is they don't see their own sin. They view themselves as righteous. They think of themselves as good. Pretty good. So they might want to attach Jesus' ministry to what they already have, but what they don't want to do is receive a baptism of repentance like John the Baptist had. John the Baptist was baptizing people who wanted to repent, and the Pharisees show up (laughs) and John's looking at him, and he says, "What are you doing here? Who told you to come escape the judgment? You guys don't want to repent. You don't want to admit you're sinful. You're at the wrong place. This is for people who see themselves clearly. And the second thing Jesus means by their blindness is they don't have, they can't understand spiritual truth. In fact, uh, the Old Testament." Uh, often speaks of them this way. Isaiah forty four eighteen says, "They know they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand." And Jeremiah, speaking of the false prophets, says, "Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, and ears but hear not." Psalm eighty two five. They neither have knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And so those who are blind don't understand the things of God. The worst part of their blindness is they think they have light. They think they have righteousness in and of themselves. They think they have something to lord over the rest of the sinful world. They have self-righteousness And therefore, don't repent of their sins. And therefore, don't come to Christ. They'll come to Him as a teacher, but they won't come to Him as a Savior. If it means getting that low down. In Matthew 5.12, Jesus says something really similar. He says, then the disciples came and said to Him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) So when Jesus is preaching, this happens several times. One time a lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, do you realize they're offended? And then he says, let me tell you what you do, lawyers. How they pervert. So Jesus' main concern was not offending self-righteous Pharisees. That didn't bother him. In fact, that was loving to them. He's revealing, shining light on their blindness so that they could be saved. But they, Pharisees, uh, are, he says, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying, saying this? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So, what were the blind Pharisees teaching? The blind Pharisees were teaching their rules, their man-made laws, telling people that what you need to do is do what they're doing, their self-righteous acts, and if you do that, then God will be pleased with you, then you'll end up in heaven. But Jesus says they're blind. And if you follow their teaching, it's like two blind people, and in Palestine, there's cliffs everywhere, that you can fall off of. There's wells that have been dug that are now dried up. And if you send two blind people leading each other around Palestine, the end is obvious to everyone. It's going to end in destruction. And Jesus is telling them, showing them that you do not want to follow a false teacher who may be confident, who may have all sorts of charisma, who may say things Mostly true, but he says, if you follow them, you'll fall in the pit where they, uh, where they will fall. You're going to follow them. And that's why Jesus says, a disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. He's saying, be careful who you pick as a teacher, because you will be like them. Do you know you can't rise above your teacher? Whatever they are, that's what you'll be. And in Jesus' day, they didn't have seminaries and schools and Bible schools. What they had is you would follow somebody around. You'd be a disciple. You'd be a learner. And they would kind of teach just through the everyday uh, flow of life. And Jesus says, be careful who you're a disciple of. Because if you're following the blind, you're going to end up where they are. And in a moment, He's going to say, you better look at their life, what's coming out of their heart, because you're not going to exceed them. It's a real simple concept that Jesus is teaching them. And it's contrary to what the Bible says Jesus is going to do. Listen to Isaiah 42, prophesying of Christ in contrast to these false teachers. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And and the prophecy is that when the Messiah comes, Rather than being a blind guide that leads people to death, he's going to open blind eyes. His teaching, his preaching, his ways are going to help people see themselves for who they really are, repent of their sins, and trust in him, experience salvation. In fact, when he was, when Paul was speaking to Agri- Agrippa, describing his conversion and his life, here's what, here, here's what he says. And I said, who are you, Lord? This is after he's been blinded. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here's here's Paul's ministry. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness into light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I love that last part. And and provide a place among those who are sanctified in the faith. Paul's ministry is to preach the gospel so that people who've been in darkness can come into light and now there's a place for them at the end of their life. Those who are of faith have a place in the family of God and that's the ministry of the Gospel. That's why it's important that we follow those or follow Christ and we only listen to those who are teaching God's Word. Not twisting it. Not uh ta- going astray now you might say sam have you ever said anything wrong you bet i have my theology is not perfect i get things wrong but if i get the gospel wrong fire me today i'm a blind guide heading for a pit and you guys would if you follow the teaching will fall right into destruction with me that's why we must discern we must know the gospel we must know that true disciples Uh, have been humble they see their sin they don't lord it over other people they don't make up rules saying if you want to be great do what i do and then he says this he points out not only their blindness but their hypocrisy look at verse 41 why do you see the speck and they let me just be honest here's where you see christ here's where you see christ uh humor this is this is hilarious what he says. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Here's the picture. What a teacher is supposed to do is help someone come out of darkness and see better. And I don't know if you've ever got something in your eye, and you ask someone else to. See if they can see something in there. You're hoping they're chewing gum or have a breath mint in because in order to see in your eye, they got to get right here. And Jesus is saying that this term for log in the Greek is the main beam in a house. So, I don't know, we got some big beams here. And Jesus is saying, this is hilarious. Here's what these false teachers are like. They're going around trying to help other people see better and cause they got a speck in their eye and they got these beams and they can't even ever get over close enough to look into their eye because of their own blindness, their own beam that's in their eye. They're hypocrites. That's, look at, look at what he says. That's what he calls them. He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll clearly see to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. The trademark of these false teachers are they're blind and they're hypocritical. Nobody, one commentator says, nobody who thinks he's righteous can help a sinner. Because what a sinner needs in order to be saved is what? Repentance and faith. They're different sides of the same coin. In order to be saved, a man has to be broken by his lack of goodness and righteousness. You'll never trust by faith in Christ in a saving way. And so a self-righteous person can never help a sinner because all they're going to teach them is to do the same self-righteous things they're doing because that's how they think they're going to get there. How they're going to stand before God. That's why, like with biblical counseling or with being a pastor, the number one thing that a person needs is humility. If you're not broken because of your own lack of righteousness, you can't help anybody. The God, you can't be a preacher of the Gospel and have your life be evidence of its power. Yes, there are self-righteous preachers out there that people get saved under, but if they would look closely at the preacher's life, unfortunately they would see the preacher as a hypocrite. The gospel is powerful to save whether it's in the mouth of a self-righteous person or not, but God seems to bless it when there's a humble, trembling person like Paul who isn't eloquent, but believes that God saves through this gospel. And so he says, they're blind, they're hypocritical, They don't see their own lack of righteousness. And then he says, you can also discern the character of a teacher by looking at the fruit of his life. You see, you don't just listen to what they say, you watch how they live. That's what Jesus taught. He says in Matthew 7, he says, you'll know them by their fruits. Because here's the thing, here's the the first thing we learned in biblical counseling training. Your whole life comes out of your heart. Period. What comes out of your mouth comes out of your heart. Period. Your life doesn't flow from your circumstances. It doesn't. You know? Why did, you know, why did you yell at your wife and do that blah 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 blah? Because she did. The Bible says no. From out of the heart the mouth speaks. Jesus was treated horribly and he blesses that's the mark of a true disciple. They love their enemies. When uh, they're being cursed, they speak a blessing. Father, forgive them. They know now what they do. That's what Stephen, how do we know he's the follower of Christ? Because when he's being stoned to death, he says, Father, don't hold this against them. He loved his enemies. He desired mercy upon them that they might have the same light as he had. And so here's what he teaches. For a good tree bears, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look at the lives of the teachers you're following. Consider those who live close to them, who know them. If we're ever hiring another pastor of Sovereign Grace, we're looking for humility. We want to talk to his wife. We want to talk to the people closest to him. Because that's the best way we're going to know what kind of man we have their life flows out of their heart now you say well no man's perfect you're right the one who's blessed the one who's a true disciple doesn't hide his sin but is humble enough to admit it and to mourn over it and to be devastated by it and to look for mercy uh, matthew 15:19, jesus says for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Here's how blind the Pharisees were. They said, look at Jesus. His disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. They're going to be rejected by God. What stupidity? He says that doesn't make you unclean, eating with unwashed hands. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. Your whole life flows out of your heart. Has Christ given you the type of heart that can admit when you're wrong? That can confess your sin? Has God given you the type of heart that is broken over your sin? So that, like we read back in the Beatitudes, you weep over the pride and self-righteousness that God gives you and then turn to Christ. And so it's no wonder in verse 46, here's how he concludes the sermon, and we'll spend the rest of next week uh, looking at these verses, but I just want to touch on it as a conclusion. Look at what he says. He looks at them and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? He's looking at these disciples and he says, everyone here is calling me Lord, Lord. And I think he's probably, obviously targeting out the ones that are calling Him Lord, Lord, but are self-righteous, haven't humbled themselves so that they're coming to Him to be a Savior. Whenever you see Lord, Lord like that, it's the way we would underline our circle. These are the people maybe singing songs the loudest in church. These are the people that maybe have do more righteousness in front of people. And Jesus says to this group of people, He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And look at what He says. And do not do what I tell you. You see, someone who confesses Christ is Lord needs to know what Lord means. He says, Why do you want to follow me? Why do you call me, Oh, great teacher? We know you're from God. He says, why do you, like, that's how Nicodemus approached him. He says, why do you come to me like that, but you don't do what I tell you? And then he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like the man building a house who dug deep down and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built the house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I can't imagine when Jesus describes hell and judgment He talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think I know why. You imagine living your whole life saying, Lord, Lord, and realize that you are following a blind teacher and that your destruction has been waiting you all along. The question, if you've been listening, that you should be asking me right now, the question on your heart ought to be, what do we need to do? Because Jesus says, those who hear these words of mine and does them is like the one who dug deep down. See, the person who digs deep down, takes a clear look deep down into their heart, sees their sin, and then sees the rock of Christ. He says, that person's going to stand. And a good question would be, well, I thought we were saved by faith. I didn't know we were saved by what we do. Isn't that a good question? What does Jesus call for them to do in this sermon? Repent. Love their neighbors is the fruit of that. We know that because after the first section, when he says, blessed are these ones, the repentant ones, the very next thing he says is, those who have ears to hear, let them hear, love your enemies. He's saying for those of you who are saved you're the only ones that are going to be able to have this fruit. Cuz you can love your enemy if you knew saw clearly you were one and God gave you grace. And so what is it what sort of thing ought we to do in John 6:27 Jesus says this, "Do not work for food that perishes." He just fed 5000 the day before. They all show up for food. Jesus says, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And they have a good question. Okay, we want to work for the eternal life food. Well, He just said the Son of Man is going to give it to you as a gift, but then He says this. They ask the question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Those who clearly see themselves having no hope in and of themselves in their own self-righteousness and have been converted of the heart, they know it's true. Therefore, when their enemies curse them, they can preach the gospel in their mind because they know it and they think, I'm that enemy apart from the grace of God. Therefore, the love of Christ has been poured into me So I can give you love. The repentant who love their enemies and those who follow him, the rock will be saved. I want you to feel how hard this would have been in Jesus's day. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Jewish teachers, all saying our way is right. And Jesus says, listen, disciples, if you don't build your life on me, period, your life will end up in destruction. So my prayer is is that you will build your life on the rock that you would dig deep down. You wouldn't have a superficial Christianity that enjoys fellowship and coming to church and is interested in Jesus because everyone hearing this sermon was interested in Jesus but that you would be one who by God's grace have been humbled into repenting and looking to Jesus and cling to Him. Father, oh God, what mercy You've shown us if we know this reality in our life. God, I pray that You keep us from false teachers who say all sorts of things that sound true but then lead away from You in Your Word. Father, I pray that You help us be rooted, that we wouldn't find out at the end of our life that, we're, uh, that it ends in destruction, but we would all realize that when judgment comes, when that great storm comes, our house will stand, not because of us, but because of the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus whom we clung to and built our life on. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.